Good morning once again, everyone. It is good to see you all out there. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, starting in verse 5. And once again, if you don't have a Bible with you, there's Bibles around underneath the seats in front of you and, and in the back there on the table. So love for you to pull that Bible out. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 5 through 9 this morning. We're going to talk again about uh, growth and growing in our faith, growing in Christ. And one of the things that I want to make sure everyone hears here is that there is nothing wrong with a, a certain amount of joy in the accomplishments of your hand or if, of your craft or whatever you do in life. God, God has created us in his image, amen? And he's given us remarkable brains. I think of whoever created the Rubik's Cube. That, is, that thing's amazing. Just as, as a toy, it's amazing. And even more amazing is the person that can solve it in nine seconds. Remarkable brains. He's given us fingers and, and toes and legs and arms and and everything that do remarkable things like nothing else in creation. And we make beautiful things. We do. Amazing things. Skillful laborers building strong, soaring buildings, painting masterpieces, composing orchestrations that are absolutely amazing and the people that have the skill to perform them and there is nothing wrong with working hard actually God tells us to do that working hard at our tasks and our jobs and feeling a certain level of satisfaction in our labor Solomon said in Ecclesiastes 2 verse 24 a man can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in his work. This too, I see, is from the hand of God. I want to start with that level, because we're not talking about that today. But if you don't hear that first, the rest of this can make you, make you go, ah, uh, you can end up making that other part wrong. So I want to put that out there because everything that we put our hands to in this world, everyone, every physical thing, every intellectual thing, it is temporary. And someday it will be dust in the wind. Now, in context, though, may I say that everything God builds through his church by the power of his spirit, you know what? Everything that God builds, you know what's cool about it? It is eternal. All of the work that we do as, as Christians in the spiritual fields, the harvest field, is eternal. The building that we are doing as Christians in this spiritual structure of the church that is rising 
to the dwelling place eventually where God lives in his spirit eternal. This glorious harvest that happens, the glorious work of the building of the church of Jesus Christ, that's eternal. And to be qualified for this work, the highest and most glorious work there is, God's people must be servants, must be humble. And I mean humble to the core. We must acknowledge from the depths of our hearts that we are mere servants who can accomplish absolutely nothing apart from Jesus Christ and apart from his spirit working within us. God opposes who? The proud. But he gives grace to the humble. And someday, every single one of us that are Christians are going to be in heaven. And isn't that going to be an incredible day? And we're going to walk on the rooftops of the mansions in New Jerusalem. And when we do, God is not going to have a single one of his servants walking around arrogantly before him. None of them are going to be like Nebuchadnezzar, who said, is this not the New Jerusalem I have built by my courageous missionary work or by boldness and workplace evangelism or by my skillful teaching or preaching of the word or my faithful hidden prayer life or my lavishly generous financial giving to the work of the kingdom or by my tireless unsung labors as a servant behind the scenes or by my works, my sacrificial works of mercy to the poor or the needy. Go back and read what Nebuchadnezzar did and what happened to him when he said a variation of that thing. God said, Nope. You're going to be an animal. And see how that works. You see, he's not going to have to listen to that in heaven because we will be so completely humbled and understand that every one of the stones that build the heavenly places, the living stones that went into building that city, were quarried by the sovereign power of God. And we're just part of it. And that God was gracious to us to be part of it. And if God is going to use you and me greatly, he must humble you greatly. And you know what? This text this morning will do it. If you allow the spirit to work in your life right now. This text has the power to humble the servants of God. Even though we've read it once and we'll read it again, and you may sit there and you go, eh, it doesn't seem that powerful to me. It is when you dive into it word for word and you realize what Paul is saying. You need to remember the context that where we've been in this series of a fallen world and how we as Christians are to not just survive in this fallen world, but to thrive and to grow and to build the spiritual kingdom that the Lord has called us to build. And the Corinthians were, as we said last week, they were carnal. So the, these, these spiritual Christians, babies, 
were carnal. They weren't acting mature in their mindset. They were focused too much on their hero leaders, and great leaders they were, but they were focused on them. They loved the philosopher. The traveling philosopher types would set up schools of philosophy in Corinth, and by their skillful rhetoric, would gain followers to themselves. And they were used to that in Corinth, and along comes Paul, and Paul had all of the degrees I mean, you could say he was Dr. Paul. And he does that kind of thing, and, but he does it different. But still, people were like, oh, oh my goodness, that's my leader. And then Apollos comes later, and, and people that liked his style of teaching were like, sweet, I am of Apollos. And thus we have division. One of you says, as it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 12, I follow Paul, another I follow Apollos, and another I follow Cephas, Peter. Well, Paul returns to this thought in verses 3 and 4, and we talked a little about that last week. You're still worldly, you're still carnal, for since there is jealousy and quarreling, among you and are you not worldly are, are you not acting like mere men for when one of you says i follow paul and another i follow apollos and you're acting like mere men you're just acting like everyone else see the gospel is supposed to train us in a whole new way of thinking a whole new way of thinking not just about spiritual things, but a whole new way of thinking about everything. And especially about human leaders. A, a humble way that recognizes that God alone can make this field of life, this field of people, produce a harvest. God alone is the builder. And we need to understand that growth is different and that source of growth is different. And so that's why I'm saying we need to understand growth resourced. Starting in verse 5 again, what then is Apollos? And what is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, even as the Lord gave to each one. I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. So then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but God who causes the growth. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, but each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. Now, some things that I want you to understand and see here very quickly. First of all, do you notice what Paul does there in verse 5? Take a look at the first word. He depersonalizes both Apollos and himself. He says the word what instead of the word who. You catch that? 
like, it's not about people in this case. He takes them off the pedestal. Both of them. He says, we're, we're just servants. That's what he's saying there, in essence. He, he points to the source of their ministry as an assignment. An assignment from God. Assignment from the Lord. I want you to remember this phrase. True growth, spiritually, true growth is always God-given. Now, he doesn't dismiss the importance of the ministry that he and Apollos had done. I planted, Apollos watered. So he mentions what they did, but he points to the source of the growth for the church in Corinth to understand that in verse 6 there, God gave the growth. And Paul is saying to them, you ought to be focused on the one who gives the growth because you're hung up on the delivery method. You're still drinking milk. If, you, if you're starving for a drink of water, you're not going to get hung up on the size or type of cup that you're drinking it from. If you go out in the desert, preferably not in a time when there's a bunch of people out there that are totally crazy trying to listen to music, and I think it's hilarious that it all blew up on them. They deserved it. But if you go out, I'm just a social commentary, I thought I'd add that in there. If you go out in the desert, I grew up in Phoenix, so I can claim this illustration as mine. If, if you're out in the desert, you are not concerned about what the receptacle is that you're drinking water out of, or even if you have one. You're going to drink it out of a bottle, out of a glass, or out of a puddle in the sand. And the idea here is you're not focused on the container, you're focused on the source of life. And the, and the church in Corinth had seized on the servants of God as the source instead of God as the source, and they were missing the point. The servants are just messengers. God is the giver of growth and of health and of life and vitality and flourishing. And if that is true, and it is, there are a number of really powerful, if not stunning, implications we're going to zero in on in our remaining time here in these few verses one of the implications, and this is the dangerous one that I'm going to go down first. We don't need to strive to produce our own growth. If you know that God is the one that grows things, does it say that there? If you know and believe that your growth is not something that you produce yourself, then you can give up on all of the self-help, self-empowerment junk that's out there. 
Ephesians 2.8, everyone, the gospel declares that salvation is given by grace through how smart you are. Ink. By faith. By faith. It also declares that growth in Christ is by grace through faith. Growth is not going to come from reading the right book outside of Scripture or listening to the right preacher or following the right catechism or defining the correct spiritual disciplines. Now, the dangerous part of this is that those are actually good to a degree and God will use them just as he used Paul and Apollos, but that is not where growth comes from. And there's a reason Paul said in his speaking, he's like, if there's anyone that was capable of boasting of their position, you remember what he says, if you know this, Paul said, I'm the guy. I was taught by all of the right people. But I find that all rubbish. If you go to church here regularly, you will know I do not talk about the degrees I have at all or really at any time. So this, this one's important to me because, you know, I, I, yeah, I... I, I I got my master's degree, and I've got, I've got a doctorate degree from a pretty cool school. But you know what? None of that makes me a better Christian. None of it. God's growth is what makes it all happen. God's growth makes it happen. Growth comes from who? God. And Paul's saying that to everyone in this room. And I will tell you right now, some of the people that God uses, remember, he uses Paul, he used Apollos, he used all of it. Some of the people that God uses, it's, it's foolishness to us that he uses them. It makes no sense. But he uses them greatly. And that leads to the second implication then. If God gives growth, we are then able to place our differences. And when I refer to differences there, the, the spiritual gifts, the talents even that God has given us, in a proper perspective. Because what did Paul say he and Apollos were? Servants. And just a side note here, this emphasis on serving is crucial for really rediscovering a biblical perspective on leadership. Jesus taught precisely this same idea in Luke 22, 
verses 24 through 27. Let the greatest among you become as the youngest and the leader as the one who serves. For which is greater, one who sits at the table or who serves? Is it not the one who sits at the table? Well, but I am among you as the one who serves. And division happens in life and jealousy arises outside the church and inside the church because there's actually certain leaders that love to have that power and lord over the flock and God's people sometimes love to have that happen to them so they feel it less demanding and less disturbing about life and the thing you need to understand about true authority in God's church, true Christian authority comes from those who lay down their lives for their brothers and sisters in service, in availability. Any other authority is worldly authority. If someone gets a degree in ministry, yet is not called by God to be in ministry, should they be in ministry? No. Any other authority is worldly authority and needs to be rejected. And, and so the whole I, I idea here for those of us in church is that we are to be different. No difference in our skill set or spiritual gifts makes us better than the other. God affirms those gifts and differences. We will see that as we march through this book together. But we see it here very plainly. Some plant, some water, some till the soil, and some reap the harvest. And we're each equipped as Christians with gifts that are unique to whoever you are and however God has wired you to be. And each is uniquely and equally important to the body of Christ. And differences should never imply division. Because my arm is certainly different than my leg. But the last time I checked, I am not going to get to that door very quickly on my arms. And I'm not going to open the door very well with my legs. Differences don't imply division. A gospel community is one where there is unity in the diversity of the people that God has put in this room, in the church in general, he who plants and he who waters are what it says in verse 8? Uno. One. Now, Paul does not imply that there's an issue here between him and Apollos at all. The Corinthians had invented the problem that created the division, and Paul says that he and Apollos are one. When he 
said this, he's saying that so we recognize that God is the source of growth. We are free then, if God is the source of growth, we are free to celebrate others when they flourish. I, I have some very, very good friends that they've, they've walked into a church and two years later, there's a couple thousand people there and they're doing the exact same thing that I'm doing. It's preaching the gospel. Should I be there going, oh man, you know, they, he's in the perfect spot. There's all new families that, you know, you could go through all of that type of stuff, right? You can do it in your workplace as well. But instead, I should be celebrating how God is giving growth to his church and others. Another implication we see here is that we need to place then our obedience in the proper perspective. Someone has to plant. Someone has to water. You see, in some sense, the, the church in Corinth would not have heard the gospel if Paul had not done the preaching. You know, each servant is necessary. Uh, one can preach all day or plant all day, but if there's no one watering, it doesn't work right. One can water all day, but if there's no one planting, there's not going to be the growth that's needed. Ultimately, we can plant and water all day, but if God isn't giving the growth, there won't be any. Now, this is a dangerous statement, too. But listen to the whole thing. While our obedience is necessary, it is not the ultimate thing. God is in charge. We do not have to carry the ultimate weight of making ourselves or others grow because God has claimed what? That's my job. That's my responsibility. Yes, Scott, you go plant, and, and Daniel, you, you, you water. But I'm going to do the growing around here. See how that works? Yes, you share, and you are called. You, you, are, you are to be obedient. You are called to share the gospel with your family to your co-workers. Everyone is called to plant. As a family, you're called to, to water, and I really see that as like daily, just living the, the Christian life with your family. Living the way God has called us to live. You're, you're watering it. You're giving it continual depth of understanding of how this plays out. And if you are doing the planting, and if you are doing the watering by God's command and God's plan, you can safely sit there and go, you know what? Ultimately, God has claimed the responsibility for growth. Now, when we see ourselves growing stagnant in our 
Christian faith, we certainly need to do our due diligence in prayer. We always need to be in the word. I mean, we're called to be obedient in that, and we're called to preach the gospel. But once again, it's God who ultimately gives growth. And we can be sure that God supplies the, what's necessary for the growth. He sources it. You know, there's a story that goes like this. There was a gardener who created a world meant to thrive. When his garden fell into despair, he didn't abandon it. He incarnated himself into the world he had created in order to take the fall for all of our sin, all of our regression, and death by dying himself to create a new creation through the defeat of death. And he's created for himself then a new people, this gardener. A new people who are called to be co-gardeners. Servants in God's field. And Luke, as it says in Luke, the harvest is plenty, but the laborers are few. And he's promised that in the end, we will experience eternal growth, flourishing on all fronts, because we will now then live in a renewed, reconciled garden city known as the new creation. When you see the lengths of the gardener's work, for us, when you see the lengths to which God has gone, done and gone to assure us that his promises are true, we can do nothing other than trust him with our own growth. The pressure is taken off of us to produce growth. We do not need to ask the things of this world to produce it for us. Growth is given by God as we sink deeper into the meaty, sustained realities of the gospel. And that's why Jesus says in John 15, I am the vine. You are not the vine. I am the vine, you are the branches. Where does the growth come from? Where do the nutrients come from? Where does everything come from needed for those branches to grow? The vine. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. From apart from me, you can do nothing. Growth cannot happen apart from a connection to the true vine. 
We need to be connected to the very source of growth, the true vine, Christ himself. Just as faith is utterly impossible, growth is also utterly impossible. Those are gifts given to us from God. And although there is no explicit mention of the cross here, we need to understand Paul's message to those in Corinth in light of what he had said earlier in the letter, because this is one letter that was meant to be read all at one time, Christ sent him to do what? The, the planting was to plant what? To preach the gospel. Not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. And Paul is arguing that when they look for power, strength, and wisdom, lights, and flashing cool stuff, and patrons, they're approaching all of the wrong sources. And the paradigm of the church is very different. It's upside down to the world. This is a community, the church is the community in which strength looks like weakness and wisdom looks like foolishness. And those are not Scott's words. That's the Bible. And the cross undergirds everything about this community apart from the very source of growth that is offered in the person of Jesus Christ. There is no way to attain growth. And this may sound somewhat uncomfortable initially because it means that both faith and growth cannot be acquired by one's effort and you could ask the question, if that's the case, what's the point of believing? Why do we need to grow when we do not possess the ability to grow ourselves? Well, actually, it's the same old thing. Can we do absolutely anything to get ourselves into heaven? Can I hear an answer? Thank you. Let's go back to Genesis 1-1 and start over again. <laughs> this is actually very liberating, everyone. Attempting to create growth in yourself leads to despair. But if we know that there is an unconditional source of growth that never changes. And if that source that actually gives us what we can't acquire on our own is always giving that to us, then there is hope. We can avoid despair even when the discouragements come because we know that the ultimate source of growth does not come from our own efforts. So the application here is really easy, and it's kind of short. The good news of Christianity is that the very innate desire for growth can be properly celebrated and encouraged, 
Though there are enough reminders in our world and discouragements in our world that diminish our hope of growth, I mean, every time I look around, I just don't think I know anything anymore. We can find our ultimate hope only in one place. Jesus Christ. In him, we find the resources to fight through growths that have been derailed. We no longer have to be enslaved by the wrong sources. We no longer have to be enslaved by the wrong sources of growth because in Jesus Christ and through the community of his people, the church, we find an everlasting source of hope that can properly fulfill our desire that God places in us to grow. Let's read our text one more time. What then is Apollos? And what is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, even as the Lord gave to each one. I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. So then, neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything. But God who causes the growth. Now he who plants and he who waters are one. But each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers. Co-gardeners. You are God's field. So if God's the gardener and you are the field, what is he in the business of doing right now? Causing you to grow. You're God's building. So if you're not an arch, if you're not an agricultural person, he's also got the building type person covered in this and well as well. You're God's building. You're, God, you're in God's field. He causes the growth, and he uses all of us as believers, as co-laborers, to work in those fields. It's a pretty cool section of scripture, once again, when you slow down and you see what Paul's saying. So just a reminder, everyone, you don't need to strive to produce your own growth. God's in the business of doing that. Let him do that. Because two, if God gives growth, we are able then to place our differences as far as our abilities and talents and stuff like that in proper perspective. And then that helps us to place our obedience in proper perspective because my obedience does not make me all of a sudden, work my way to God. My obedience is an outflowing of what God is doing inside of me. Okay? 
Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for this time.